Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. On this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome a guest whose prolific and multifaceted body of work has assured her place as a contemporary icon of the genre. As a performer, she's left an indelible mark on screens both big and small, appearing in such TV shows as Heroes, Dexter, and The Arrangement, as well as celebrated films like A Ghost Story, Beyond the Gates, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, and the recent Dead Night. In the LGBTQ sphere, she's not only appeared in, but served as a producer, writer, and director for the popular gay series Eastsiders. On top of all this, she's a comic book author and creator, a celebrated podcast host, and so very much more. Please welcome actor, writer, producer, director, and horror sensation, Bria Grant. Thank you. Thank you. And you even said it right. Well, you know, as someone who has a last name that people frequently mess up. Sure. Yes. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, did you get a miss? Bria. Yeah. So people who've known me for 10 years call me Brea. And actually, a few years ago, I just gave up because I was like, well, that is a a pronunciation of my name. But it is a little frustrating. I can't tell you how many podcasts I start and then I go, actually, it's Brea. It's Brea. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm sure that even I have made the mistake uh, because also living in Los Angeles, we we have La Brea. Which is understandable. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at anybody. I And I... I, I always blame my like kind of small town podunk roots where I mispronounce people's names constantly because I only <laughs> I just didn't know people with interesting names really. Well, with a last name like Verratti and growing up in the mm. Midwest, I have heard every variation of my last name, and I used to get so like it's 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 spelled like it's yeah it sounds like it's spelled like it's yeah. you know it's phonetic. I don't understand how they're messing it up. So I I now become mortified if I mess up someone else's oh. name, uh, and to the degree that like I, uh, I I really try and make sure that I know. Yes, I mean, like also it's like just proper hosting. I sure, feel, yeah. it's true, but. It is, but you know, I host podcasts. It is tough, and I always ask people ahead of time because I often mispronounce people's names. But I, mine is not spelled phonetically, so that, <laughs> <laughs> that is. So I understand the mistake. It's a, it's a, it's a mistake. I used to always say "brie" like the cheese, but with an "uh" on the end, which is not helpful at all. There's no way to tell people to remember it. No, that's true. Although uh, I love cheese, so okay. Well, there you go. So maybe you'll remember now. <laughs> Um, so, you know, nomenclature aside, uh, <laughs> why don't we kick off the show the same way I start every show with the same first question I ask every guest, and it is simply this. Why horror? And you can answer that however you want or interpret that however you want. Why does horror appeal to you? Why do you think horror appeals to the, the people? But why horror? Um, it's a great first question. Um, I So I'm going to talk about it from an industry standpoint for just a moment, Um so I, I've always had interest in horror. It definitely uh, got more. I got more interested in the genre world in college and um, late high school, college. I got way more interested. I started reading comic books and um, just got way more interested in genre stuff. I think because at the same time I was becoming really political, and so those two things really matched for me. Because I think horror is a place where you can. Um, explore political issues. You can explore the world around you. You can explore just even like coming of age, like things like that, that sometimes are inherently political without sort of making a movie that's going to turn everyone off. I love an allegory. I love a metaphor. I love like, I love like the way that horror can kind of explore these issues of even not even political, but even of loneliness or feeling disenfranchised, things like that without actually making a movie about that specific topic. Right. The other why horror I will say is that horror genre I'm so thankful for it it's been so nice to me in my career 
<laughs> it has been such a great place for me. Uh, and I wouldn't have a career without horror and without horror fandom and without all of the people who support me in my movies. And I know so many people. I mean, as you said, I'm I'm the most multi-hyphenate of all multi-hyphenates which we could get into. But um, I, I always look at the other actresses I know who are my age because I'm 37. And um, once you hit 30, it's hard to find work. Like, right. it's just hard to find traditional work. I haven't found that in horror. I still get the same number of horror offers uh, all the time. I, I always am getting horror offers, which is awesome. Like, the community and the fandom doesn't go away. I mean, yes, there's less roles, but not as... Not like in the not in mainstream, not like you know a show on NBC or something like that, which I feel like there's much less of. And do you find uh, because that is an ongoing discussion both in the industry and Hollywood about how uh, after a certain age, oh, out uh, to pasture, out to pasture. <laughs> but do you find then that horror does tend to offer more versatility in roles for women as opposed to other genres, or is this just something that maybe you have? been lucky to experience i mean it's look it's definitely going to be handed like it's going to be both like my uh you know the way i physically look being a white woman being like a sort of leading lady although i feel like i made that transition from sort of best friend to leading lady over the past few years um and i still obviously play the best friend a lot as well i think all of those things have made it easier for me to continue to work in the horror genre as i get older Mm -hmm. but i I have a lot of, I, I'm, and this is completely anecdotal, but I have so many female friends who are the same age as me. We've come up together. We were all working actresses. We were doing, you know, oh, I was, you know, people were like recurring on Supernatural, recurring on all these shows. And now that they're in their mid-30s, even not even looking mid-30s, but they're in their mid-30s, it's just, just much harder for them to find work in like those mainstream shows that have, right. you know, when you're a teenager or you're playing teenagers or early 20s, there's just a lot more happening. I mean, Yes, the industry is changing, but it's not changing quick enough for a lot of working actors. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's women getting older, but, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of people have this issue, obviously. And I think there is a thread tied back to something you said uh, in your initial answer that, uh, of course, is a driving force for this show in general. But it's also uh, something that I'm, I myself am very interested in, and that's the politics of horror. Mm. Because when uh, the world at large thinks of this genre, they tend to focus on what I consider to be like a very surface image of what they believe horror movies to be. We all have that aunt or friend or neighbor who's like, oh, I don't really like those horror movies, which I always say is categorically not true because you cannot like lump a whole genre into one film. Right. Uh, but do you, do you find that horror tends to be a a empowering genre? I do. I, this was, so I, when Obviously, we both, I'm sure we both love Get Out. Every horror fan loves Get Out. But also, it was an interesting moment, I felt like, for horror because it reached the mainstream in this nice way where my friends, a lot of my friends still work in politics, um, and a lot of them were like, have you seen Get Out? To me, the horror person. And I was like, yeah, I saw Get Out. I saw it opening night. I was right there. And they were like, you got to see it. It's it's great because it's political horror. I'm like, Okay, let me shove like 15 more great political horror movies this year that came out right. this year. Not that Get Out isn't great. I loved Get Out. Get Out was amazing and such a cultural moment. And like Jordan Peele knows how to make a movie and they make a great like 
like political statement with this movie. It's everything I want horror to be. I can also point to 10 other movies that I feel like everyone else should have watched also after they got into horror movies. (laughs) 100%. And of course, bless Jordan Peele. He's a favorite of mine. I think that he's doing, you know, the the utmost best for the genre right now. Oh, yeah, the Lord's work. But I do, you're right. What's interesting is uh, seeing that shift in the people who so often decried this genre uh, in, in in this world that you and I both live in pretty much every day. Uh, and and suddenly realizing something we've known all along is that there is social commentary and there is a uh, political thread and uh, a power to horror. I always tell people like horror by its very definition is subversive. Yeah. And you can use it to subvert so much. Like if you don't like what's going on in the world, make it a monster. And that's mm-hmm. the representation that then you can you can use his commentary. So I just really, you know, I, I really am grateful that Get Out opened so many eyes and in, in, in to the degree of even, you know, winning that Oscar. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's when you go back, we look at all of these movies um, that have allegory that maybe people were refusing to see all the way to A Night of the Living Dead, which is, of course, a statement on civil rights yes. when, when he made it. Or The Fly, uh, I've discussed on the show before, is running parallel to the AIDS epidemic. It's a movie about mm-hmm. a pandemic. So, uh no, right. Dawn of the Dead is a great movie about consumerism. That's what that movie is about. Exactly. <laughs> and especially during that era. I mean, if you think about history as a whole and you study history, I have a master's degree in history, unfortunately, for my bank account every week, <laughs> every month when I'm paying my student loans. But um, uh, if you look back at history you and you want to know about what's going on in culture, you look at the art that's being made. Right. That is what is reflecting what is happening at that time. And I think horror does it in this really interesting way. I think people had this have this idea that horror fans are just, you know, alone, sitting in their rooms, jacking off to Michael Myers. I don't know what they think we're doing. Can I say jacking off on your show? Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, they think that we're identifying with the villain for some reason. I think this right. is a weird thing. And everybody, I think, saw Get Out, and they're like, no, we identify with the guy. And I'm like, yes, you are supposed to identify with him. That You're supposed to identify with the main character, the person who who is... Who, the the leading man who is going through this this adventure this this problem and dealing with the issues he's dealing with. Yeah. Well, I think what what you are isolating uh, in this case, and I, I talk about it frequently, uh, and I like that you said it's not about identifying with the monster; it's identifying with the plight. Is that that uh, that sense of otherness that exists in horror, and the idea that yeah, sometimes like especially if you exist on the outside of society, like you know anybody who is not a white cis Christian straight man of a certain age has at some point or another been othered. Uh, And so sometimes, yes, like maybe we feel like we get why the creature from the Black Lagoon feels so alone. Mm -hmm. But then I also recently brought up the fact that when you're watching Halloween, it it shouldn't be Michael. It should be Lori. Here's this girl who so desperately wants to be part of this group, but she doesn't know how. And she feels on the outside of it. And horror illustrates that in ways that are, are tangible to us, I think. It's it's easier to like say, like, oh, look, she she just so wants to be to belong and here's her fears made manifest, mm-hmm. as opposed to this long Russian literature version right. of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, I I do like I said, I can't say enough good things about get out because I do think it has opened these doors where people are like 
horror makes money. Right. There can be there can be people of color in horror. Like it's like all of a sudden it made everybody's eyes open in a way outside of the horrorverse where I think all of us in the horrorverse are all like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. We know it can we can be good. And I love that horror people are just like it's a bunch of little weirdos just all hanging out with each other and that's kind of like a group that I've always felt most comfortable with. It's one of the best communities. It's honestly. such a nice lovely community. Uh, so you made reference in, in there uh, to your degree in history okay. which I think will <laughs> is a good way for us to kind of take it back to your origins. Oh. Uh, you're such a good this is such, you're such a good job of the oh, should I not you. point it out? <laughs> well now now, now that we it's have all to talk exposed, about it more. <laughs> no. Uh, so no let's 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 go back to to the beginnings. Uh, were you always interested in acting or what was the pivot point in your life? Like obviously you didn't go to school for that. So. No yeah uh, no um, so I grew up in a small town in East Texas called Marshall and um, I did some community theater at the local university and I'm saying that like that's silly. No, it's wonderful. Community theater is great. Uh, and then I went to college and was like, no, like I am like an anarchist punk, like vegan animal rights activist. Like this is what I want to do. I want to study history. I want to like do feminist studies. I want to do Amer- and I, I have a degree in uh, American studies and and women's studies. Minor. God, I'm old. Uh, a minor in women's studies, and then I have a master's in American studies, like with a focus on history. Right. Um, I started grad school and um, at University of Texas also, so I went to undergrad and then grad school. And then I was really super unhappy in grad school. I had a teacher tell me early on that everyone makes A's in grad school, and if you make a B, you probably don't belong there. And I made, I think she gave me a B, <laughs> which was maybe her way of going, you don't belong here. At grad school I found to be very uh, not, I like cooperating people and people coming together to make something cool which is why I like filmmaking but right. grad school is very um there's a lot of animosity there it's a lot of people like I'm gonna one-up you in this class and I just didn't feel smart enough honestly I didn't feel like I knew enough I didn't feel like I understood the world well enough I didn't feel like I was well read enough mm-hmm. um which uh, you know thinking back I was fine but uh, at the time I hated it so I took an acting class kind of going back to when I was younger because I was like I loved acting when I was you know, a kid and I was doing community theater. That was like the last thing I remember really loving. And um, I took an acting class. I thought it would help me speak better in my grad school classes, maybe make better grades, make me more confident because it does make you good in a room, able to talk about things. And uh, I took one acting class and I was like, I really like this. And then I took another one. This is all in Austin, Texas. And it was like a more advanced one. And there was an agent there and she was like, I'm going to sign you on. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. She was like, and I, you know, you should think about sometime moving to LA for pilot season. And I was like, I'm going to do that. (laughs) And I I left two weeks later. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. I was... 20 I was like in my mid-20s when mm-hmm. I moved to LA so I was a little older than I feel like most people were and but I was just really ready for a change I was in a relationship I blew that up packed all my stuff in my dog in my car and I moved to LA found a place on Craigslist uh yeah it was, it was the early 2000s you could do that kind of thing why not well it seemed to work out uh yeah yeah I love uh, so, and Austin is a very filmmaking community though right it is I wasn't that involved in the filmmaking community at that time I went on maybe I think I went on two auditions while I was there because um, I would there was like an Austin actors website and I like went to a couple of auditions um, oh and I auditioned for Friday Night Lights the pilot 
Oh, wow. uh, while I was there. Yeah. But um, other than that, I wasn't really involved in the community. I've since gone back and made a couple movies there, which is awesome. And you ended up on Friday Night Lights later. Yeah. So I auditioned for Friday Night Lights, the pilot. Um, and then I still had my Texas agent for a really long time and I would fly myself back to Texas to audition for it for guest star roles right which is crazy and I had this massive credit card bill by the time I actually booked the show but it was worth it in the end it kind of like launched my career I don't know if I would suggest actors doing that but it worked out well for me after four four or five auditions of heartbreak and like testing and not getting stuff and then I ended up with a recurring role which was even better than I could have expected you know so I have to ask, and it's obviously something we never really talk about on Dead for Filth, but coming from Texas, yes. and what I know about Texas yeah. is it is a very small town, football culture is a thing. So was there something really surreal that like kind of your first bigger break in into acting is on the show about, it's Texas football, right? Totally. I will say, by the way, I think I had done two horror movies by the time I was on that show, but I don't know if either of them saw the light of day. Um, <laughs> uh, but that was, you know, I started doing I started doing horror very early. I uh, was a lot of beginning actors can say. Um, yeah, it was weird. I mean, I would never quite fit into my small town. I always felt like an outsider. I think that's why I love having a community of other outsiders. Um but yeah, Friday Night Lights is a weird show because I feel like it is very true to Texas in a lot of ways. It just wasn't a world I was involved in. But the character I played on the show was this sort of like, you know, girl with glasses who was like kind of alternative and wanted to talk about Jaws. And like, you know, I remember at some point they had me naming like metal bands or like death metal bands or something. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And like, I like, you know, like stuff like, you know, they I just they let you improvise a lot on Friday Night Lights. So I got to like really play around with like the sort of more like punk aspects like that world of it but yeah I mean that show was great it was such a weird show because I feel like people in LA really liked it and maybe people in Texas liked it and I don't know who else watched it but like it was for me it really launched my it it made it so I I wasn't able to quit my day job I was still waiting tables because the writer's strike happened right when I started that show but um but but yeah I, I it was what made it so that I ended up on other shows and so would you consider that a very pivotal moment in your career? Hugely pivotal. And my, uh, bless my friends from Texas, because I would go and sleep on their couches. I slept on their couch while I was shooting that show. And they were so sweet to me because I kept flying down, auditioning, not getting it, and would just be so depressed. And oh. then I would fly back, not get it. Um, and eventually I did get it, and they were so proud of me. <laughs> well, I like that because it's it's all about persistence, but I also love knowing the stories when, when people who have made a break into the world, like when you know, like, oh, this could be it. This could be my job. Right. Because I think there are a lot of people uh, who come here, and they work, and they're working actors, and they, they love doing that, but then there's also kind of that moment where, like, oh, I could do this full time. Right. And uh, that that seems like a really cool way to... Yeah, I distinctly remember. So I was working Friday, did Friday Night Lights. I came back. I had to wait tables. I didn't have enough money on, not to. I'd run my credit card bill up <laughs> auditioning for Friday Night Lights. Right. Um, and um, I was dating a guy at the time, and he sold a TV show. And I remember thinking, I'm very jealous of this. I really would like to on my. I would like to also sell a TV show or be on TV or do something like that. And so I booked maybe one or two more guest stars. I had like a real good streak right right in a row. Um, and I just quit my day job. 
I had almost no money. I was just like, I think I could do this. And he's doing it. He's not that smart. Whatever. I can probably do this. <laughs> he's smart. I'm still friends with him. Um, but it really inspired me to see someone else sort of just doing it. Right. I think that's what I needed to see. And I think it gave me the confidence. Like, I still distinctly remember having, like, it really changing how I felt about walking into a, a room and auditioning. And uh, obviously you end up booking roles on on big projects like Heroes and uh, in some other things that we can talk about uh, as, as we go. But knowing your academic background that you started in and your interest in, in, uh, in writing and history, were you writing all along as well? Or? No. Oh, so this is super weird. So I moved to L.A. because I thought I wanted to be a producer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what producers did, but I was like, I think that's... I want to make movies. I had started the acting thing, but I was like, maybe I want to be a producer because if the acting thing doesn't work out, that could be something I could do and I would still be involved in the creation of things. I think I didn't know, and this is why visibility is so important, I think I didn't know I could be a writer or director. It just seemed so crazy to me. I could see women and people who looked like me on TV. Again, why visibility is so important for everyone. Um, uh, But I could not figure out how I could ever become a writer or director. So I wasn't writing. Um, I didn't start doing a lot of professional writing until I was on Heroes and I started writing comic books. And that right. was, um, my brother and I started writing them together. We started, we tried to write scripts, it didn't work out, so we, we moved to comic books, which is something we felt like we could do. Um, and that worked out a lot better. And then I wrote some scripts on my own, but the first one I really wrote in earnest and really wanted to get done was Best Friends Forever, which I ended up directing. And right. I co-wrote with Vera Meow. So let's let's dig a little into, okay, you're on Heroes. I am. Uh, you had, <laughs> uh, you had, an interest in comic books before this. Yes. And while you're on Heroes, you start writing your own comic book. What a dream I was living. I mean, this it's amazing. It's a dream. Yeah. But <laughs> tell me a little bit about booking that particular show. Because as someone who actually liked comic books, there probably was something very cool about knowing that you're on this like cultural phenomenon that's about dying. superheroes. Oh, yeah. I was dying. I remember when I got the call. Okay, wait. So I'll tell you. The, I mean, I don't know if it's interesting to your listeners to know all the like acting things that happen but essentially I got a call and they said the people from Heroes watch Friday Night Lights they really like your character they wrote a character similar to that character they're going to bring you into audition and I auditioned like I think I only auditioned like three times for right. that role which is not very many for a, a role of that size uh, my last test was with Mossy and with Greg um, and then weeks go by I don't hear anything I remember going to a movie theater watching movies crying thinking I didn't get this role and it could have been such a life changer um and then I got a call that I got it and I remember laying down on my floor and just crying (laughs) 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 like an adult (laughs) like we do when we're an adult (laughs) no I actually do think uh listeners are very interested in these stories because one of the things that I really hope to do with this show and preserving the histories of people like yourself is show that there is no single way yeah to chase your dream oh god I like I literally when people are like how do you break into directing I'm like oh you fly yourself to Texas a bunch of times you uh <laughs> you then you book a role in Friday Night Lights then you from that you could have role in Heroes and then because of that you do a really small indie movie and you find someone to fund your movie it's like it's so complicated there's no one path I will say the weird thing can I say this so there's a weird thing about when I got on Heroes all of a sudden uh there was a lot of attention on me for the first time I right. didn't know anything about anything I had that I didn't have a publicist and anything and I would talk about liking 
comic books and interviews and people really came after people were like she doesn't like comic books her publicist told her to do it and it's like i don't have a publicist (laughs) (laughs) i'm poor like i like i remember people being like what do you do with all this money and i was like i was always just a recurring character on that show like (laughs) i didn't make all that much money uh and i was just like yeah i I eventually did get a publicist by the way but i didn't know that i was supposed to say all these specific things to make myself seem cool it was just like a time where i think all of a sudden comics became came really cool right and i just happened to have a background of reading them. yeah how short is cultural memory right yeah. I, I think that um there was this moment where you, comic book movies weren't really in vogue oh my god uh, well i think heroes was really uh, heroes was super groundbreaking for that yeah. we were not seeing superheroes on television at that time you know and then all of a sudden heroes was this cultural phenomenon and save the cheerleaders save the, save the world it was wild like right. th- I, they met Obama you know like things were wild at that moment and like I think then it sort of ushered the way for a lot of these comic book movies but there was just a moment where a lot of actors were like getting attached to comic books or putting out comic books that looked like them so they may, maybe they could make it into a movie because everyone wanted a property to make into a movie. Right. Uh, none of my comic books got made into movies. So <laughs> I think that I'm still indie. <laughs> so there are two things I want to talk about about what you just uh, were saying. But the first, of course, because I'm sure people are dying to know because we do have a lot of crossover uh, in the world of horror and comic books. And I do think there is a kinship in, yeah. the, in, in, in those communities. Well, some of the best comic books are horror. They are horror. I agree. You know? yeah. And well, what I wanted to ask is, what are some of your favorite comic books? Good question. Um, I don't. I'm so I'm not a big cape scal. I don't read. I'm I, like I do very much enjoy a Marvel movie. I will go see them all in the theater. I love them. I don't read them for the most part. Um, I was I was an X Factor fan, which is a weird <laughs> spinoff that I was into. Okay. Uh, for some reason, started reading those, got into those, but um. A lot of mine come from like uh, like I loved fables. I love Sweet Tooth. I love like those kind of like weird worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, one I just read that I have to recommend so much is Anima- Animosity. Animosity, which is about a day where all the animals come to life, uh, come start get uh, become sentient and start talking. Uh, like every animal around us that just came out. I I mean, yeah, yeah. There's there's so many. I was a big fan of fables. I think it's great. And in fact, uh, you know, of course, I'm here to celebrate all art that's being made out there. But I remember when, uh, is it Once Upon a Time started? Yes. I remember thinking, I was like, is fables. this fables it's or just, not? It's different. It is different. But, but it's fables. Yeah, it's fables. It's definitely fables. My break in comics, I will say, were The Invisibles. My brother had The Invisibles. I love that comic. And I read it at his house and I was like, I think I like comics. And uh, of course, Sandman. I feel like that's like everybody's like the breakthrough drug for comics. I love Sandman. Um, and... And I frequently think about uh, that run as like one of the most flawless runs so of, of writing, period. Yeah. Like not just comics, just writing. He really announced himself to the world with that. Uh, being This show being what it is, I always like to ask when superheroes come up, if they do. Um, it's just such a stupid question, but I always, I always have to. Is being a superhero a form of drag? Ooh. I mean, I think drag, I think drag queens are superheroes. I mean, there is... I 100%. Mean, that, yeah, that's yeah. How I, think, yeah. I think something we can all agree on. I mean, you're not wrong. It is. It is putting on different clothes to be a different person to to kind of show this different uh, 
way of living and show your superpowers. You're not wrong. That is actually quite tr- quite true. I mean, I'm sure, you know, in the, the toxic masculinity dregs of the internet, someone is, like, furious that I asked this question. Yeah. But when I think about, uh, to me, like, drag by definition is is, is putting on a persona. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, putting on a mask to show your true self, yes. depending what it is. And I, I think, you know, when, when we look at superheroes, like, Bruce Wayne is a man in a business suit who works at a desk. Yes. But Batman is this like larger than life person. Mm -hmm. Peter Parker is like the snappier, sassier. Like it's like, well, he's like a science nerd and Spider-Man's the snappier, sassier version of him. And it's like the idea that when they become this other, they become more essentially fabulous. It's really true. And I don't, I think when you think of particularly Batman, you think of him being Batman, not him being a boring Bruce Wayne. You know right. what I mean? I think that that's the person you identify as. You're like, that's who he is. That's right. his real person. Or at the very least, it's his more fabulous. But I do think him, I think Spider-Man is a little of, of both. But yeah, that's a really interesting, interesting point. Are there any drag performers, drag queens who um who are dressed as superheroes? Uh there are a few drag performers who specifically will delve into the world of cosplay. I know yes. Dax exclamation point de- frequently will do Storm mm. and other characters. Uh Pandora Box, I, I I know does a lot of different characters. I saw her do Barb from Stranger Things at Precinct nice. a while back. Uh but that's more cosplay. Um and then, uh, yeah, uh, Fifi O'Hara did a whole 365 days where she did different characters, including superheroes, on her Instagram. Jesus. Uh, but I do know that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and someone on the internet correct me uh, if, I, if I'm wrong, speaking of the X-Men books, there is a new drag character that is a drag superhero uh, called Shade that was really? just introduced in the X-Books. I didn't know that. So maybe we're closer to this concept than we, we thought. I think you're totally, I mean... I think you're really right. I think this is, <laughs> this is a really good. Uh, I'm ready for your thesis paper on it. I, I mean, I'm interested. Um, well, you know who's to say? It's 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 uh, maybe the next. That's what I want. Marvel. I need a Marvel movie starring a drag queen. Ugh, I would watch that. That would. I would be the first in line. Yeah. It would be so good. Well, and we both have worked with many drag queens. We have so. worked with many drag queens, and we both were at Precinct together recently. <laughs> that's right. That's true. Uh, so before we get into that, the other thing I wanted to build off of is uh, you were talking about how when you moved here, you originally thought maybe I will be a producer, even though you didn't necessarily know what that was. Right. And then there was also the idea that you you would have liked to write or direct, but there was no visibility and how representation is important. But... Uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting about that trajectory and the sort of trial by fire that I, I am interested in having you unpack a little bit more is do you feel like making movies was essentially your film school? Like you learned these things by doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I always have a little jealousy if people went to the film school because I'm like, oh, you learned these things not in an embarrassing way. Um, right. <laughs> in a learning environment. Whereas I learned them and was made a lot of mistakes and then was like, oh, now I know. I mean, I'm still, I still feel like I'm, I still learn so much all the time about directing, writing, acting. I feel like it's a constant, if I have ever learned it all, then I should quit because I then I've just become dated. I'm just like, then at that point, I'm not, I'm not a part of the filmmaking community anymore because uh, the filmmaking community is always changing and if you think you know it all then you should quit. Right. <laughs> um, so um, I direct the, I've only directed one feature 
I've directed one feature. Don't put only because I'm trying to talk less bad about myself. I've directed one feature. It's called Best Friends Forever. It's an apocalyptic road trip movie. And when we were, uh, I wrote, I co-wrote it with Vera Miao and we co-starred on it. And um, we had a director team on board. These two directors were going to do it and they ended up dropping out. And I was like, I want to direct this. And Vera was very supportive of, of me and um and I directed it, and I had never directed anything before. But my theory was, I had been on so many film sets at that point, like, I knew how a film set worked, I knew what things looked like, I knew how to watch things and figure them out. So I, it was a lot of learning things, it was a huge learning experience, but also ended up with a good movie out of it. Um, and since then, I feel like I've learned even more. But yeah, it was definitely just like I, um, I'm going to read a couple books about it. I love reading books about things. And I'm going to ask people questions. But um, like you said, I, like I just directed an episode of the show Eastsiders. I had never directed TV before. And I had to learn to do that sort of. But it was that I feel like I'm an intelligent person. I learn really well on my feet. And I'm such a person who learns by doing I will destroy everything and make everything a mess and then clean it all up so I can learn by doing. <laughs> I have trouble learning by watching. So when that moment came up, when the director uh, that you initially had intended uh, for, for Best Friends Forever had dropped out, did it kind of feel like a now or never moment? Or Because w- w- I'm assuming directing was something that was always maybe in the back of your mind. But did you ever think that, like, that was going to be the time? Yeah, definitely no. Uh, (laughs) Definitely was a weird choice. But we had interviewed quite a few people, and we were both really passionate about the project. I think um, I heard an interview with, I think it's Zach Braff. Is that the one from? Garden State? Yes. Uh, Garden State. Yeah, it was Zach Braff, and he was talking about, how on, what was the show he was on? Oh, Scrubs. Thank you. I guess it's Scrubs. like, it's probably. That was such a, told so much about you that you said Garden State instead of Scrubs. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. I was like, and there's probably like a whole like audience member, like audience that's like, why do you go there yeah, first? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, <laughs> I can never remember anyone's name or what they've been in. So at least you were able to do that. Um, so I was listening to an interview with Zach Braff, and he said that uh, when he was on Scrubs, it was just too, it was boring, just acting. Right. But directing and acting was almost too hard, and that I really identify with. I love acting. I just felt like I wanted to do more, and I love being like the person on the screen, and people are watching. Isn't that wonderful? But I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to be God. Right. Like I kind of wanted to be the boss, and I knew that. But um, yeah, it was definitely a moment of. Ooh, how am I going to do this? Like, literally the first day on set, people were like, how are you going to direct yourself? And I was like, we're going to see. Like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> we're going to see how it goes. But I think, you know, taking that on and being willing to walk into a position that maybe was even a little terrifying mm. uh, is is so important, not just for you and your own career growth, but for others to see. Because as you said, when you came here, you were not seeing women in writer roles or in, in director roles. And... There's got to be somebody who takes that step so that other, you know, girls who want to come and make movies like, you know, when they move here, know that they can. Right. And this is like, you know, I think this is the core of uh, what this show is all about is how important it is for that representation and that visibility. Yeah. And uh, I think that for me, one of the underlying messages of, of this story is that 
yeah, it was kind of trial by fire. And yeah, it was a little scary. But nothing worth doing isn't a little scary. You should be definitely very scared. You right. should be scared of making movies. It is hard. It is a very difficult process. And it is every time I'm on a set at some point, I'm like, why do I do this? This sucks. This is too hard. And then <laughs> and then at the end, I'm like, oh, I just want to keep making movies. That's all right. I want to do ever. <laughs> I think... I mean, it's funny when I, I think now I'm not just fighting for the representation. I'm also fighting to be seen sort of as this multi-hyphenate, which is like this right. thing that a few years ago people hated. Like when I was like, I'm an actress, but I also direct things. People were like, no, you got to choose one. And it was a real crappy time. But now I think people are much more accepting of it, especially in the last couple of years. And especially for women, and I think that Greta Gerwig and Lena Dunham really have paved that way. And then now also Issa Rae, and there's a bunch of other people have come into that space. But I always tell my manager, because I have a manager for acting and a manager for for lit, and I'm always like, just think of me as the horror Greta Gerwig. What would Greta Gerwig do Like if, right. in the world of horror? Like, that's who I am. Like Because it's hard if there's not a someone who lo- who is doing what you're doing, it's hard to describe to people what you want to be doing. Well, I do think that it is just very convenient and easy to compartmentalize people. Yes, and uh, that's what we love to do in L.A. <laughs> we, do, we love to do it in L.A., and I'm sure it's true of other industries, too, but you're right, there has been a shift. And, you know, because I, I work a lot in the horror space, but also listeners know that I write a lot of TV movies for family content, or I'm, I, I'm a producer over here. And it, I used to struggle with the same thing, where people were like, well, are you a horror writer or are you doing these Christmas movies? Are you a writer or are you a producer? But I've noticed that there is kind of like a pivot happening yeah. for everybody. And yeah. the multi-hyphenate is becoming more of the vogue. And I think that part of it has to do is there's not as much money in the industry as there used to be. 100% that's why. <laughs> so you have to wear many hats. But do you also think it has to do with kind of the advent of streaming? There's so many platforms now. Right. Well, I mean, it's weird to me. So I, I mean... Having actors, like now when actors ask me for advice, I'm always like, I don't know how to tell you to break into the industry. The industry is not the same as it was. There were so many more gatekeepers when I started. Now you can make your own thing. I just got off a project I was directing and this uh, woman who, she's popular on Instagram, it's going to be an Instagram-based project. Um, She made her way by making videos starting when she was 12 years old on on YouTube. And like now she's an actress on a television show and that's amazing to me that she was able to break in that way. That wasn't a plat that it was a platform but it wasn't really an option when I was starting. Right. Um but yeah, I think that that if I see an actor now and they have a reel and they don't have anything on their reel or they've never even tried to make anything themselves, I am a little bit like go make a series. Right. It's hard. Yes, it is costs money, but you can actually do it for quite cheap. You just need to go do that. Like there it, it there is no reason for you not to have uh, evidence that you know how to act on camera. Right. <laughs> like you can film it on your phone. It's very easy these days. And I love working with actors who are also writer and directors. So that is another thing. Like it's just like if you understand the other side of things, you're going to be a better actor. Right. Now, speaking of actors who are writer and director and something that we've alluded to a few times in the show, uh, you mentioned recently you directed an episode of Eastsiders, which is a uh, gay series that you can watch on Netflix. Yes. Very popular uh, with LGBTQ audiences, but you've also produced for that show. You've written for that show. You've acted in that show. Yeah. Uh, and and just tell me a little bit about your involvement in that and uh, just, you know, that journey of, of wearing all those different hats. Yeah. I mean... And I just to say, like, I think people are, this is another one of those where people are like, you do horror. Why are you doing East Siders? And I'm right. like, it's the same world. Like, we're talking, 
What's crazy about Eastsiders is there's like three gay shows on Netflix, maybe. Like there's right. like three gay things to watch on Netflix. And like to talk about like outsider and like 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 uh, communities that are not represented, like LGBT. Come on. Like we have like one gay series every like this is what Kit always Kit Williamson wrote and created the show and he always is like, Yeah, we we get like one gay series every like four years and people are like, That's enough. You know, like right, it's, it's not true. enough. <laughs> um so Kit Williamson is one of my best friends. We met in acting class uh years ago and um he came and he acted in my movie Best Friends Forever and then he was like, I'm gonna write a series uh about being gay and living on the east side of LA. That was the whole show. Right. And he was like, can I film at your house? And I said, sure. And so that was my initial involvement. And then I did an episode where I play somebody's, uh, one of the characters' sisters. And then from there, he got a lot of attention. It was picked up by Logo. Um, and then he went on and made a season two. He made that first season. And this is what I'm saying to actors. He wrote and starred and directed and produced and created that whole show. I think he made the first season for like 10 grand or something. Right. Um, which if you know anything about television, that's very cheap. And it looks great. I mean, watching it, I'm always like, wow, he did such a great job with this show. Um, fast forward season three. I or Season two, I had a big role where... Uh, me and Vera Meow were both in it. Uh, we were playing uh, uh, a married couple with kids. Um, and then season three, I came on as a producer. And Kit has always run the show. We, he has a Kickstarter campaign every season to help get the show funded. Right. And uh, I ran a Kickstarter campaign for the post of Best Friends Forever. I ran his Kickstarter campaign for season three and season four. So that's kind of how I ended up staying involved. And then in season four, he asked me to come on to the writer's room. It's the first time he'd ever had a writer's room. And he and I asked if I could direct an episode, and I did direct an episode, and I was the first time he ever had a guest director. So yeah, and you are the only guest director, only guest director, because the series is uh, the series will be out next year, and um, yeah, that's the end. That will, we we wrapped it up. How exciting! Now, uh, from that journey and all of these different things that you did, and maybe even just like this exposure to a community that is a different kind of audience than yes. horror. Yes. What do you feel you took away or learned from that experience? I mean, so many things. I mean, the one, the thing about the show that makes me, I mean, it makes me get misty eyed. It's amazing the letters and emails and tweets and everything that we get because there's so many people living not in LA or living in LA that don't see representations of themselves in the media and they're like, oh my God, this show speaks to me. And it's not just gay men. There's a lot of women. Right. And and it, it speaks to them just because the characters are, you know, very different than what you might see on television. It's very open about um, uh, infidelity. There's a lot of storylines that have to do with infidelity. There's a lot of people who've been through that on either side. Right. And I think we don't really demonize any of the people who are unfaithful in the first season uh, or any of the other seasons. And that is, people really like that. Um I think that part of it has been this huge thing. I think, so, I mean, when you make TV or these huge shows or, or movies or anything, a lot of times you make them and you put them out there and you're like, did people like it? Who could say? Like, you, right. you don't know. And now with the day and age when people will write you emails and can reach out to you on Twitter, you do know. And you know how much what you're doing means to people. And... I'm just never hesitate to tell someone you like their work because it's the only thing at the end of the day that keeps us going. It's true. (laughs) And that has been one of those shows where like getting that feedback means so much. I know it means a lot to Kit, but just as being a part of it, it means a lot to me because I'm like, oh, wow, like this really touched this person. This person 
this got them through their breakup. Like all of these things like it, you because I immediately means that much to me. Like there are shows I would not have be gotten through life without Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think about that all of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that if you have that feeling about a show, the people who make the show like let them know because it is a thing where you never know. Like you don't know as a filmmaker and putting that out into the ether is really um and getting that feedback has been really nice. Other things I've learned, I mean, just learning more. I Being in the writer's room was a big learning experience. I am uh, a straight, cisgender, white woman. And I learned a lot about gay culture being in the writer's room. Right. Like a lot of things where they'd say things and I'd go, uh-huh. And I would do a Google. I'm like, okay, learned that. Uh- <laughs> what is the most uh, outrageous term that you think that you learned? Term? Or thing that you learned from this community that you did not know going in. Well, there's one I don't know if I should talk about. It's called Dead for Phil. Because they're like, a sponsor of us. Oh. Um, well, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know about all of the cleaning tools, the cleaning thing. Uh, there was one we're sponsored by in which you you use it to clean, to clean your system out. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah this yeah. is something women... I mean, maybe straight women know about it, but I don't think we really do. There was, there's one, I can't think of the name of it, but they actually are featured in the show. But like, that was something that I was like, wow, no idea, no idea. Right. Um, term wise, I mean, so I think I know a little, enough, uh, some about drag culture. I learned way more about drag culture. We have, um, Willem is on our show, who's incredible, but we also had a lot of other queens in a couple of episodes of the show, and it was incredible. They're so cool. I learned about, I mean, it was interesting because, like, we just had to talk more about, like, logistically, like, they just need more time to get ready. Right. They need a, their own space. Like, transforming into that is, like, a whole different experience. And, like, we had to make sure, like, we wanted to make sure they had a dressing room and they had right. a place to do that. They weren't doing it outside. You know what I mean? Because we shoot this show on a shoestring. We don't always have, you know, nobody has, like, a full-on trailer. You know what I mean? So, like, right. things like that that I learned about certain communities that I just didn't know anything about. I love that. By uh, the way, horror crossover, Lynn Shay's in this season. Yeah, I am excited about that. Mm-hmm. I think it, Lynn's an icon, of yeah, course. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I knew, but I didn't know if I was allowed to reveal that I knew. Oh. So. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm the worst about that. I can ask, but I'll ask before you put it up. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, from learning new terms and being exposed to new communities and new worlds to another gig of yours where you are exposed to new worlds all the time, uh, Reading Glasses. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Reading Glasses is a podcast that you co-host with, uh, Mallory O'Meara, who was Mm -hmm. recently on the show right before Christmas, where, uh, you just discuss books and book culture and, um... Just talk to me a little bit about that project. Mallory discussed it while she was on, but obviously you have a great fondness for reading. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big reader, not just comics. I'm just a big sci-fi, horror, dystopian. Any just give me a dystopia, and I will spend a day with it. Like, I love, right. I love a dystopian book, um, a post-apocalyptic book. I often describe to my boyfriend I'm like oh do you want to hear about the book I'm reading he's like is it post-apocalyptic I'm like yeah and he's like I've heard it um, <laughs> uh, yeah we do we do a, a weekly podcast on Maximum Fun Mallory and I met at a horror shorts festival called Etheria here in Lynn, Los Angeles love Etheria a celebration of it, women in horror yeah yeah it's super cool and uh, we just we always talked about books and we were like we should start a podcast like everyone does and then we did right. and it's been interesting I mean 
it's funny because like I feel like I kind of run in these realms and that's not a realm I really run in is like the book turnet, the right. the book world. And now I sort of do and I've learned a lot more about it. Mallory is much more the expert in that world, like about publishing and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, whereas I sort of just bring in the like uh, – this is this is what I read and this is what I want to talk about in my experience. Now, when Mallory was on the show, she revealed a little something that I think oh. that your regular listeners also know <laughs> that you have a, uh, a affinity for e-readers. I do an e-reader. To... I'm an e-reader. What? So uh, why is it just because it's more uh, travelable? Yeah, a few years ago, someone gave me, this is exactly what the show is like, by the way, and so if you're bored by this, don't listen. If you love it, tune in. Uh, <laughs> but it's a few years ago... Um, I was dating someone. I only read physical books. I hated e-readers, and someone and he gave me one, and I was like, "Ugh, I guess I have to use this like to be nice." And I like to see how it goes. And I just started loving it. I am a big library user, and you can get books from the library on your e-reader. Mm-hmm. So, and I read. I mean, I read at least a book a week. So that alone, saving books from the library, not having to go to the library, like it saves me a lot of time. Um, saves me a lot of money, and also I can put like when I travel, I always have like. And, you know, for work, I travel all the time. I always have, like, ten books on there just in right. case I don't like one or whatever. And I put them on my phone so that way if I'm somewhere just waiting, I can read my book. I do love – I I'm a big – I'm a big Kindle defender. I'm, like I'm, – I, I will, like, not apologize. I think it's great. Good for the environment. Cheaper. I don't right. know. There's, like, a lot of things that I really like about it. I alternate back and forth. Oh, I, I have a Kindle, but I'm still like I I, uh, I have a master's in English literature, mm. so I'm a big I'm a big book nerd myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still something like a, the power of like the smell of a book. I know that they're not environmental. It's like when people no. who smoke, they're like, I know it's not good, but like you know. Uh, I think books are better than smoking. <laughs> no, no, Making no. a statement. Come Obviously, after me. Come yeah. at me. <laughs> we're, we're drawing a line in the sand here on Dead for Phil today. Uh, but I also, uh, no, I love a book. I really do. I love bookstores. I think bookstores are sexy. As some, I do. As somebody who like uh, also lives in the rom-com space, I'm always just like, I'm just going to like meet the person of my dreams at a bookstore. Yes. I'm Where gonna, else would you meet them? Right? Course. I'm going to have like my Meg Ryan Tom Hanks moment Ugh, at I a bookstore. It. I love uh, it. But it will be in the horror section. Like yes. we're going to both be reading reaching for like a, Cli- a Clive Barker novel <laughs> and that'll be it. Um, um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I still get so many physical books because of the podcast and I do, and people give them to me and I right. read physical books still. I just have like gotten so addicted to that e-reader. So we bef- definitely have like that. It's it's an ongoing debate. Our listeners love it. <laughs> I, I will take an e-reader usually with me when I'm traveling yes. because it's like so, I, I used to be the person that would like throw 10 books in my bag yeah. and it's heavy. Yeah, Mallory does that. She's, she's I am not, I don't know why. It seems like such a tough a tough thing to do. Uh, and so before we move on from the topic, is there anything that you've read recently that you really, really uh, want my listeners to check out? Um, oh, this always happens where I'm like, have I read a book? Uh, where I immediately draw a blank. Yeah. Um, so I read this great cult apocalyptic book last year that I think like horror fans would like called Gather the Daughters. I'm a big fan of that. It was really good um if anybody hasn't read paul tremblay's latest uh cabinet into the world of course so good you should have him on the show i would love to have him on the show we know him he came on ours um trying to think of anything uh and then um if people haven't read the nk jemison i'm sure most people have but it's sort of also apocalyptic it's definitely genre she wrote um this the broken earth trilogy and it's won at basically every sci-fi award ever Read that. Read those that trilogy. It's it's incredible. It's really good. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll end there. I've so, I do have quite a few, but um, 
Yeah, those are the, like some really good genre ones that I always I feel like are like universally recommend recommendable. But if people want to reach out to me and they're like, I like this, that's something we really like to do on the show where people are like, I like this real specific thing. Do you have recommendations? And I usually do. I love that. Yeah. And I love that uh, your your love of books shows when because you're just like, oh, and this one, and yeah, this one. Uh, yeah. This then one. was one leads to, like another one somehow in my brain. I don't know how, but you know, despite like being a big horror guy, I, my book taste is so across the board. Go I, on. Well, I I um. Also, just having a master's degree in English lit, like I like spent so much time with like what the academic ivory tower would call high literature. Yes, yes. That now on like in my spare time, I read a lot of young adult novels. Oh, I just sure. like get a thrill out of like you know like Ugh. the the torment of teens. Oh, and the, their their love triangles are the best. Oh my god, I just read this book called uh, What If It's Us. Oh, don't know it. Uh, it's it's a gay romance, and uh. it's like oh so good. Uh, but I also read a lot of cozy mysteries. I've talked about this on the show before. I'm like a little old woman, like trapped inside the box. Like I'm just like it. if it's like an elderly detective and their cats <gasps> solving a crime, I am there. Wow. Like, yeah, I love that. I did just read, while well, the character, I literally just read this called Night Watch. Oof, I'll have to look it up. If it's strong enough, take it out of the show. But um, called Night Watch. And it's about an elderly woman and it's kind of a horror book. But she's not a, she's not a detective. But there's a woman who starts living with her and she doesn't understand why. It's I mean, good. they rarely actually are detectives. <laughs> I mean, they're usually like they own a bakery but are also good at sleuthing. Yes, or yes, yes, yes. Um, Hopefully my future. <laughs> my dream. I always say like I'm going to move to Palm Springs and I'm just going to solve crimes with my cat. Yeah. And that's uh, just going to be how it goes. Yes. Uh, so at the top of the show, uh, we talked about the fact that you have uh, just a, a, a lengthy resume of, of many, many films that you have appeared in. Uh, and obviously like we would we just don't have the time to talk about all of them. Gotcha. So one of the things <laughs> that I would like to ask you, like of the body of work that you've done as a performer, is there a movie that you have particular fun, movie or show that you have particular fondness for that you don't feel like got enough attention that you wish more people had seen? I love this question so much. Um, I have a few, but um, yeah. So I was in a movie la- that came out last year called Dead Night that I think is... Awesome. Um, it's me, Barbara Crampton, AJ Bowen. Um, it's directed by Brad Baru and produced by Don Coscarelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Baru produced uh, John Dies at the End. Um, I love this movie because it's really strange. It's on Showtime right now. You can watch it, I think, for free on like a Showtime demand thing, or you can still, I think, rent it. Um, uh, but it's a really strange movie because it involves like a true crime story, but then. It, it goes in and out of this weird true crime show where they're like, the axe mom, and she does all these crazy things. And then it goes and tells the real story about what happened the night of this true crime event. Right. I love that movie because it is so... The, I read the script and I was like, this is one of the weirdest scripts I've ever read. Um, I love it because the director, he's super fun. And we just had a really good time. We shot on location in Tahoe on and off for about a year. It was really crazy. It was a crazy shoot. We shot it. We shot it a lot, and I got to work with Barbara Crampton. We have a straight-up fight scene in it where Barbara Crampton and I are fighting each other. I just thought it was really fun. It premiered at Fantastic Fest. And it just, like, um, the problem is a horror movie either takes off, I think, or it's just kind of the horror crowd watches it. And this one definitely... A lot of horror people watched it, but not even as many as I would like. I wish right. more horror people would watch it. But it's called Dead Night. I think it's great. Um, another movie that um, is now on Amazon Prime for free, it just got there, is called Sleep No More, which is about 
It's set in the 80s, and it's a bunch of grad students um, who try to cure sleep. You know, they quit sleeping. That was produced by Jeffrey Reddick, right? Jeffrey Reddick is yeah. in it, too. Oh, he's in it. He's he's produced two movies with this same director, Philip Guzman, uh, uh, that I've done and so and I met Jeffrey that way but yeah Jeffrey was the very first guest on Dead for Five <gasps> Jeffrey it- is incredible he's so good he came down and hung out with us he's in that movie and then he also produced it and then he did another movie with that same director called Dead Awake um, that I'm also in but yeah I think Sleep No More is really cool it's really cute it's fun it's like a super fun put on have a good time on a Friday night kind of movie awesome. um, ensemble cast good horror stuff um, those are two that I like I just I mean very recent movies that I've done. Uh, but yeah, I ha- there's some old ones. If people haven't seen Beyond the Gates, I think Beyond the Gates is a super like, fun little indie horror that we made for like a shoestring uh, with me and Graham Skipper, uh, Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End. Barbara Crampton's also in that one. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really fun... It's a... Yeah, it, that's a really fun one about a haunted a haunted VHS game, which sounds cornier than it is. It really works, I think. I love that movie. I, I think it's I, great. Yeah, it's really a lot of fun. Uh, so my other question, you know, outside of just your, your body of acting work, uh, we have talked about the fact that you're a producer, a writer, a director. You've created comic books. You host a show. God. Is there something about your career that uh, maybe people don't know or that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, God, like I need another job. <laughs> I don't need right? any more jobs. Someone take some of them. Um, yeah, I mean, look, yes, I want my own TV show. I want to <laughs> make huge movies. I want to, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like weird saying all this stuff because then like if it never happens, people will be like, remember Brea? She wanted to do all those crazy things. Like I want to direct a Marvel movie. Like right. I want, like that is like a dream to direct like one of those huge blockbuster genre type movies or like one in like the the nun conjuring universe like I love that universe like things like that I also like really love the um what are we calling these the computer desktop sort of movies I love these oh like unfriended love them I think they are so fun I like they're so underrated I think by the horror community. I think like we like people didn't watch them as much as I thought they would. I know. I think people are kind of sleeping on that as a subgenre. I think maybe because there's still sort of like this weird like found footage stigma, but it's not really that at all. And also social media is terrifying. If people are not like mildly scared and I use it a lot. Yes. Yes. But it's like I think that there is uh, horror to be found in modern technology. If it, Black Mirror proves that all the time. I, uh, absolutely. And I love Black Mirror. And I, I just really like those movies. I think they're really interesting and really of this time. And yes, in like five years, they're all going to mm. like be like, wow, what that's dated. But I love how of the right now they are. Right. I think if you haven't watched those movies, I, th- I think they're totally worth watching. Um, and I would love to do one of those in any capacity. Um, I... I I mean, things that I've done that people haven't known might not know about. You've done some journalism, I saw. Have I? Your byline on Ms. and the Biz. Oh, I've <laughs> done some journalism uh, to help friends projects get attention. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I do my research. <laughs> you really did. How did? How deep did you go? I mean, there are certain things that I'm like, oh, I would like to do that at this moment. I don't particularly have time. I want to get back. I was uh, recurring on an e-show last year. I love acting on television. I always say, like, I learned to act on television. I learned to act in front of millions of people. Like, Mm -hmm. I went from having very little experience to being on Heroes every week. I 
I mean, talk about shows that I think I like love and have such a fond memory of. That is like one of the most fun. I because I feel like I was learning so much, but also on a TV show, you really create a family in a way that because you're there every week with the same people. You know, it's not like summer camp where you're, I feel like sometimes you do a movie, it feels like summer camp because you're like, we're all going home after this. Like, you're not going home. This is home. Like, and I loved that experience. So I love going back and doing television and always am wanting to do more because I just think the experience is so nice, especially if you get to go for more than one week. Because I do a lot of the like guest star in CSI, like I'm a sassy nurse and like, (laughs) I'm mad that you're even investigating me. That's like a (laughs) go-to for me. Um, But I love doing the like week to week ones where I'm playing a character and kind of get to explore that one and also get to know the crew and get to know the rest of the cast really well. That's like super fun for me. Well, before we move on from this, I do have to ask since you mentioned it, and this is just a for fun question, but as a a self-professed person who's not necessarily into capes, uh, if you had to choose a Marvel character that you got to direct a movie of, who would it be? Oh, a Marvel. Oh, um, ugh, don't make me choose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are they already doing a Black Widow? They're doing a Black Widow. They are finally. Yeah, yeah it took them long. Would have liked to do that. No one's gonna. Uh, uh, I I don't know. I mean, there's there's. I would have to like really think about that. I mean. I would love to do the X Factor spinoff. I'd love to do Multiple Man. When people are always like, if you could date a character, uh, any sort of uh, uh, superhero, who would you date? And I'm always like, Multiple Man, come on. I mean, I have my reasons for thinking this is a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things about it. Um, There's a character called Banshee in those books that I really like that I think is real wild. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm, I'm always torn about that kind of thing any of them I I think that they're I think that they've done a really good job in the Marvel universe of really separating the characters out there's very few that I'm like Ugh, I don't really care about them like I'm pretty interested in everybody right. at this point no and again it kind of goes back to our conversation about horror one thing that I think Marvel has always curated well is finding a thread of social commentary yes uh, you know Peter Parker being the bullied teen mm-hmm. uh, the X-Men sort of being on the outs of society yeah. uh, 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 running parallel to civil rights and then gay rights mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that Marvel has done that I think uh, you could explore yeah for sure yeah for sure and I would yes call, call me <laughs> <laughs> so uh before we head off into the night a fun question um you have cinematically crossed paths with both dexter yes and michael myers oh, yeah. two notorious on-screen killers who would be harder to survive i'm gonna ooh, ooh See, uh, it's a trickier question yeah, my than immediate think of- answer was dexter because he's very smart not that michael myers isn't but michael myers is more like you know, he has a more like animalistic aspect of him where he's right. more just like he relies on instinct, whereas Dexter is more calculating. Right. Um, but Michael Myers has some, you know, he appears places where like, how do you get there? And that's that's something. How can you ever right. escape? Um, I want to hear your answer on this, too. I'm, Mine? Uh-huh, but I think I, I think I'm going to go with. Dexter because I do think he's very smart. And I think like outs- I think the scariest thing is a s- smart 
serial killer, which they all think they're very, they all think they're so right. smart, but they are, uh, to get away with it for a certain amount of time, you really have to. Miami was a small city. Think about how long he got away with it for. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, I think my answer would be Dexter, too. Uh, not that I'm not terrified of Michael Myers, uh, but I also think that Michael Myers tends to kind of like loudly announce himself. Yes. And it's sort of what always fascinates me, it, and it's sort of like the Crystal Lake effect, too, or like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, is sort of like... Once that first body pops up, assuming it's not you, because then obviously you don't have this option. But once that first body pops up, like, why are you staying in Haddonfield? Like, especially with the town's history. I would be like, well, time to go to my timeshare in, like, you know, (laughs) Bethesda, Maryland, or wherever. The problem is, like, I feel like for a long time I was always cast as the person who would have died first. So then I should really, I don't know, think about it. Look, I think in, like... If you, yeah, I I think I'm more scared of Michael Myers because I feel like if right. I was face to face with Michael Myers, ooh, he he's gonna get me because he's much bigger than me, yeah, or he's just more he's strong, he's very strong. Whereas Dexter, I feel like if we were in a fist fight, I could take him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I feel that way. I'm very tiny. I don't know why I think that. Well, I think you got to believe in yourself. Listen, I've you. fought a lot of people in a lot of movies, and I've I've taken some people down. Not Michael Myers. I was not able to take him down. Maybe that's why I think that's... Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so what have you seen recently that inspires you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, The new True Detective is great. Um, it's just started the third season. I didn't watch the second season, but this season... Um, I do love stuff set in the South. I love things like that. And it has a, um, a lot of stuff about... It's about like time and the passage of time. I really think it's great. Um... <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research, so I'm watching a lot of movies that are not good. I just rewatched Girl Interrupted. I'm saying a lot of not horror stuff. And that movie is quite holds up. I think it's uh, honestly a fantastic film. What is it? It was sort of the movie that announced Angelina Jolie, I feel like. I mean, Gia on whatever network they did that on. But that was supposed to be like a Winona Ryder movie, but it is like a tour de force Jolie experience. And Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi so Goldberg's good. great. Yeah. So good. All Well, it's so funny because all those characters, I mean, even um, Angela Bettis, I think is how you say her last name. Oh, yeah. And Brittany Murphy's in it too. So good. Yeah. And like who went on to do May and who went on, you know, yeah, those, they're so good in those yeah. movies, uh, in that movie. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've watched. I've watched a lot of bad movies lately because I'm prepping to direct something and I was trying to sort of like see... Uh, I did just see, I just went into the theaters. I have some friends who made a movie called Killer Kate, which I think is really super fun. Oh, I just heard about this. Yeah, it's yeah. a horror, it's a horror movie and it's, it's kind of a fun sort of tongue in cheek, like small, small movie that I'm, that I thought was really, it was super fun. Um, and I normally every year go to Fantastic Fest and I didn't this year. And I feel like because of that, I missed out on a lot of really good movies. I did get to go to Fantasia. Now I'm thinking of movies I saw there. I got to go to Fantasia and I saw this movie called Blew My Mind, which is a, I think it's a Swiss sort of coming of age movie about a girl who's turning into a fish. And that sounds corny. And it is like one of the darkest movies I've ever seen. It was so good. And I kept thinking about it. Um, and I also just saw this movie Shoplifters, which is I've heard nothing but good things. It oh, it got nominated for an Oscar today. Yeah. Um, and it is one of the best movies I saw last year. Like I cannot believe how good it was. It really and it has like genre elements in it that I think people will really enjoy, but you have to stick with it for it those to pay off. But yeah, it's sort of it's a Japanese movie um about 
people who a family who kind of like steals everything, but uh, for like to get by. Right. And it's it's so good. It was it was amazing. What have you seen? Tell me some things. Maybe I saw them. Oh gosh. Uh, well, um, we usually when I ask this question, it's like horror is not the only realm. So we yes. can talk. I saw the favorite, which I love. Ugh, so good. Uh, it was I, great. Speaking of Oscar nominations, I really enjoyed. Can you ever forgive me? Coming from a world of literature uh, and, and writing this, the story of this woman, because the the biggest cardinal sin, of course, in writing is plagiarism. So here's this this story all about this woman who plagiarized these letters from famous authors. I didn't Ma- even know about this movie. Uh, Melissa McCarthy. It's a true story. Melissa McCarthy plays a down on her luck writer who uh, starts faking letters from famous authors to sell them to make money and she's amazing in it it's a dramatic role for her it's very different uh richard e grant's in it he's fantastic as her friend who's dying of aids it's a it's a really powerful piece i saw that uh one of my favorite movies this year that i didn't think it got enough attention is a movie called sorry to bother you i loved sorry to bother you uh i thought that was really great um yeah got no attention like why is it no oscar no I didn't Oscar. really look at them that much, um, but it's funny. Um, wow, you turned you turned the tables on me. I'm like, I'm <laughs> no, that, no, I think that that movie's great, and you're right. That was a that was a a big mess. I just thought of another. Oh, I've been watching. Uh, I just been I've been watching Future Man on Hulu. Oh, with Josh Hutcherson. Yes, yeah. I loved season one. I just started watching season two. I think season one. I. I really go for a sci-fi comedy. Like mm-hmm. you can, I will watch this. There's so few. There's right. like, you know, every year there's like one sci-fi comedy and I think right. they really pull off sci-fi comedy, which is super hard to do. Genre comedy is hard. And it like, is. I really, really think the first season was great. I'm excited to get into the second season. Well, all good recommendations. Uh, so before we go, I have to ask, what's next? Where can people see you next? What are you up to? Uh, EastSiders will be out next year, or this year. Sorry, it's 2019. It is coming soon. Uh, EastSiders will be out. Um, I shot a couple movies last year that are going to festivals, but they haven't been announced what festivals. Uh, one is with Jeremy Gardner of The Battery, who I think is fantastic, and I'm excited for people to see that movie. People can catch me every week on my show Reading Glasses talking about books. Even if you don't love books, we have a lot of non bookish people who listen to the show which mm-hmm. is interesting um what else do i have coming out <laughs> this is the weird life that we live where we're like right. i don't know there's things you can watch me anytime on all sorts of platforms go google bria grant <laughs> <laughs> it comes right up oh and then i, I have this pro- this instagram project that um i directed and it'll go live in february um but i don't think i can talk about it just yet but if you watch my instagram i definitely will be talking about it come early february which is a good lead into uh my final question where can people find you i'm just my name on everything bria grant there's none there's no other one or if they are if there is then she did not get it before me all of the social medias <laughs> <laughs> well bria thank you for coming today please listeners go and check out the many great things that bria has been in listen to her show find her comic book read it like she is so talented so amazing we are so grateful that uh you were able to come by today yeah, thanks for having me thank you thank you uh this has been dead for filth i'm michael Verratti, yours always in glam and gore good night and good luck Dead for Filth is a Reverie original podcast, executive produced by Aaliyah J. Daniels, LaShawn McGee, Chris Rodriguez, and Damian Pelliccione. The show is produced by Drew Phillips and sound engineered and edited by Josh Perkins. Download the Reverie app and use the code FILTH for 25% off your first three months.